You did a weird thing for Canadian melodrama. What a weird thing for girls who say a boot. Hey everybody, welcome to We Need to Talk About Kevin, uh, the podcast where we talk about Kevin Smith and his movies. This week we watched Kevin Smith's third movie, a, I guess you could call it a rom-com, Chasing Amy. I'm Ted. I'm Rose. And I'm Trevor Drinkwater. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, Chasing Amy, 1997, the third film in the View Askewniverse by Kevin Smith. Uh, According to the Wikipedia page, this film is about a male comic artist played by Ben Affleck, Batman, who falls in love with a lesbian, I'm putting that in quotes, (sighs) woman to the displeasure of his best friend, played by Jason Lee. Um, And it just goes from there. (laughs) This film was actually like very well received when it came out. It was a huge hit. People said it was like a return to form for Kevin Smith after the failure of Mallrats. So um, (laughs) first, uh, first, let's get general impressions. What did you think about Kevin Smith's uh, indie auteur return to form? I didn't like it. (laughs) I, I don't know where to begin. I really just don't. There's so there's so much wrong with this. Not good. I say I, I, I also did not like this very much. <laughs> but be- before we unpack everything, let's start off with the good because I think there is some good here that we can go over before we get into um, the meat of this episode. So, what did people like about chasing Amy? So one thing that I liked was it's at the very beginning. Um, it's when uh, Ben Affleck named Holden, which I'm not going to get into yet. <laughs> um, ben Affleck meets Alyssa for the first time, sort of. And they're like flirting in a bar. And he like makes a joke that doesn't really land. And I thought that like worked. Like that part yeah. worked. I was like, oh, it's sort of like making fun. Like maybe not, but like it, it seems like it could be making fun of like the quippy nature of so many rom-coms and also all of Kevin Smith's movies. Well, I've only seen the other two, so I don't I don't know. But, um, but then from there, that never like gets brought up again. Like that little awkward moment is just like done. And then that's the only time anything was awkward. It was very weird. But... I liked that moment a lot. So I uh, think that on a uh, purely technical level, this was definitely his best movie so far. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think Rose, I think you and I kind of had the same reaction in the first like couple minutes before it really started going. Where we're like, "Wow, it feels like I'm actually watching a movie," as opposed <laughs> to you called yeah. you called Mallrats <laughs> like a work print. Uh, somewhere between Mallrats and this movie, Kevin Smith figured out how to like, oh, you should set up a shot in a deliberate way. And then maybe sometimes the camera uh, moves um, from one place to another uh, in order to engage the audience in some way. So there's, I was a little bit shocked by that. I was like, wow, the camera, it's moving. It's like there's someone behind it making deliberate choices. Uh, beyond that, everything about the content of the movie, I don't know if there's anything uh, positive that I can say. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> well, I I agree with both of your points. Uh, 
Yeah, I was very surprised watching this movie how much of a step up it was uh, just on like a director level. Um, it looks very nice for most of it. Like it is very beautiful. A lot of the shots, the editing is really good. It's structured really well. The performances feel a lot more natural and the writing as well flows a lot better. It doesn't feel as awkward as it did in the past. And, um, and on that note about like the awkward moment there at the beginning, I did find that a lot of this movie had um, Kevin basically doing a kind of self-criticism. And I thought that a lot of the stuff he was doing was obviously meta in a certain way because it's connected to the other movies, but more meta in that like it felt that this movie actually was criticizing its main characters in a way the previous films weren't. So it did feel like a much more mature uh, project. It also felt like something that he actually wanted to make. Like there definitely was a passion behind it. Unlike Mallrats, which just felt like it felt like a contracted film. Like it didn't feel like there was any passion behind that. So uh, I do kind of get why it was received well when it came out. Because on a filmmaking level, it is definitely uh, a step up but (laughs) (laughs) Uh. before we get into like more negatives i do want to say this is the first one where like the ending wasn't like by far the worst part of the movie like (laughs) i didn't mind the way that it ended i i thought the like sort of epilogue scene was not great um but it, I mean, that was fine, but the way that it, like, the climax of the movie, um, I thought was good, which I don't, I, I don't know if we want to get into now because it's the end of the movie. We have to I, save that. I was we just, have to, we'll save it. I was just, but I, I was just relieved that it was over, to be honest. <laughs> so you liked it. <laughs> yeah, I liked the fact that it ended. You could say that as a positive. Yeah, great. Um. <laughs> I, I think the way I, I um, me and Trev were texting because we were watching it at like kind of the same time. And the way I described watching Chasey, Chasing Amy to him was that um, I was a lot less bored than I was during Mulrats. Like I was much more engaged, but I was also angrier. <laughs> <laughs> there is moments in the movie that made me like viscerally upset. <laughs> like... That I was just like, are you fucking ki- seriously? Like, I wanted to, like, stand up and, like, move around. <laughs> oh, my God. I felt similarly. It it starts so early on, too. Because I yeah. think most people listening to this are probably familiar with the, like, main complaint about this movie, which we'll get into. But there are so many little things. The, uh... The racial stuff that's happening. Oh my god! Is so weird. <laughs> oh yeah, that's what I needed to talk about. <laughs> it's like the first thing that stands out. You're kind of watching the first scene. It seems okay. Uh, the, although I, I did kind of want to flag uh, the um, when uh, they're signing the Blunt Man and Chronic comic books, and <laughs> Blunt Man and Chronic are just uh, characters based on Jane Silent Bob. Uh, and one of the, <laughs> one of the fans like says to, uh, Holden played by Ben Affleck, wow, they're like a cross between Bill and Ted and Cheech and Chong. 
And Holden says, I prefer to think of them as Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. <laughs> Meet <laughs> Vladimir and Esther. Uh, what the fuck is the name? The, the characters from Waiting for Godot. I already forgot the other name. But... <laughs> I was and that really puzzled me because I'm like, is that what Kevin Smith thinks like Jay and Silent Bob are? I, I mean, I have to like in order to maintain <laughs> is... my sanity, I have to imagine that's a joke. Like, I have to imagine we're not supposed to take that seriously. I, I, Maybe Holden I, thinks I, it. I guess. But I mean, he know, but like Holden knows that these are just characters based on these like stoner kids that he knows in real life. So like, it's a really weird, it's, I do think it's supposed to be a joke, but it's a really odd, and it makes me wonder because I know that Kevin Smith does have an appreciation for uh, the classics, like Clerks, as we know, is based on Dante's Inferno, and uh, the main character in this movie is named, oh yeah, and Holden, named after Holden Caulfield from Catcher in the Rye. Oh my god, of course. The literary references in these works run deep, you guys. So I don't know, maybe he has some loftier intentions uh, than we realize. The thing is, in this one, like, I think the Holden kind of works better because I've not read Catcher in the Rye because I'm not a nerd, but (laughs) my my understanding of it is that Holden Caulfield is just kind of like a little whiny dweeb. Yeah. and And nobody likes him. And, like, uh, that's sort of what I get from Holden in this movie. He's sort of, like, whiny all the time. Uh, I mean, what that's kind of, like, the modern uh, cool uh, thing to say about Catcher in the Rye, which I agree with. But I think initially a lot of people really related to the character. It, it wasn't. Yeah. I don't think he was always uh, seen that way. And then we have to imagine that, like, this movie is extremely based on kevin's personal experiences definitely oh man (laughs) oh god he has jay give the uh he has jay give like the message in text just like straight up says it you mean you mean silent bob fuck i did it again i'm not gonna be able to edit that one out (laughs) (laughs) in in an incredibly long cloying uh, monologue from kevin smith himself it's actually not as long as the clerks one Really? Which is I it? thought, I because th- I, I was pretty sure it wasn't. And I like looked at, I went back to Clerks and I was like, it's the one in Clerks is a little bit longer because he gets interrupted by Jay and he like, so it goes back and forth, but it is a little bit longer. Yeah. Uh, Kevin has said that this is his most autobiographical film. Jesus like, Christ. Ben Affleck <laughs> is definitely supposed to be him. That's why he has the facial hair. He even talks like Kevin Smith. And Smith was actually, he was actually dating Joey Lauren Adams right, yeah. uh, when this film was going on. Uh, who I have to say, like, she was actually a delight. Like, she's actually the best performance in the film. Wait, he was dating her? Yeah. Yes. Whoa, that's some fucking Tim Burton shit. Before we get into all that, I have to go back to what you were saying with the race stuff. Yes. Because this needs to be addressed. We need to talk about that. So the the first few minutes of the film, I was actually suddenly getting really hopeful. Because oh, the first no. five or ten minutes, I was like, this feels like a real movie. And they set up the characters so quickly. You know, they're both comic artists. One is like... Uh, I don't know what the technical terms are, but one is like the main artist, the drawer person, and the other person is the tracer. Uh, the inker, I guess they call him the tracer. The penciler and the inker, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so there's immediately like this great dynamic there, like this little bit of uh, an insecurity. And I was like, oh, cool. This actually feels like 
awesome. Um, I'm into this. Like, I want to see these characters. And then they go to um, a talk by a black comic writer, I believe. Yes, yes. Who goes on a long diatribe about the racial politics of Star Wars. And you can just feel... Kevin speaking through this person. It's so weird. Right. I hate it. But there are layers happening here. Like, so during this speech, we are, the, we're supposed to take this guy to be like a nation of Islam um, militant. Yeah. Type. He's dressed up like a Black Panther. Like, yeah. he's got the turtleneck mm-hmm. and the leather jacket, and he's got a pin that says, like, something black power it's like every every stereotype about like a black uh militant revolutionary uh style person but and then holden and banky are two white main characters show up just to disrupt and heckle this guy's little racially charged uh, speech (laughs) holden and banky Banky is the one who's doing most of the like disruption. They yeah. write a comic called Blunt Man and Chronic, which honestly that sounds pretty cool. Uh, I'm not against that. That sounds funny. Like that's a stupid thing. I, I like stupid things. But then, so you when you're watching this, you're like, what the? F- are we just supposed to like actually hate these characters, or you're supposed to think they're cool no. for standing up mm-hmm. to this black guy? Because a lot of what the the I can't remember his name. I think his name is Hooper. You're right. A lot of what Hooper is saying is not wrong, uh, but it's like super overblown. And then he says some things that are like, but it's not real. He's just pretending. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. it's an act in the most bizarre. Just like I, I don't know why this was in the script. This is such a weird choice. So weird. He, he pretends to shoot Banky and then scares mm-hmm. the entire audience away from the panel. And it is a gun loaded with blanks. So yeah. it's a real blanks. gun. Yeah, he doesn't have a he's bullet. He's firing in it. a gun. Into a crowd. I mean, I don't know when this movie was made, like mid 90s, guessing. Yeah. Um, uh, 1997. Thank you, Rose. I should know, <laughs> considering I do the fucking podcast. And I think they say something to the effect of, like, they don't need to worry about anyone calling the police because they're all too scared of him. Yeah, and his like his producer or his agent has something figured out with the comic panel where this is okay. Yeah, it is like it's the most bizarre scenario to insert at the beginning of your film, and the reasoning for why he does this is to keep up this like tough black militant image uh, to sell his comics because apparently that's like a real selling point. Um, and also to cover up, as Jason Lee puts it in the film, that he is a faggot. <laughs> These are, I'm quoting the characters in the film. Uh, Jason Lee's character says faggot, like, yeah. a lot like, in this Hooper movie. Like, Hooper also calls himself that, like, yeah, of course. And they're all, they're all very cool with this. So. I think- Every character in the movie says it at one point. They're they're dropping slurs left and right. <laughs> it's it's really weird. So he is a gay black man, and in order to be successful as a comics writer or artist, he has to pretend to be like a militant uh, hotep type who's obsessed with black liberation. Though it seems like in real life he d- maybe doesn't. 
necessarily well, so, care about it's not really clear how he actually feels about that like whether i think he might be for it because he does continue like dressing like that in a right. lot of other scenes and but, he's got the pin on all the time but the so, idea is that he has to have this persona to cover up the fact that he's gay because the world won't accept a gay black man and the only other alternative is to be a hyper masculine uh, black liberationist who shoots people. It doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> Why would shooting people in the crowd at your panel help uh, your image or help you sell comic books? I mean, I would buy his comic. If I saw that guy shoot Banky, I'd be like, hell yeah. Uh, it could be a collector's item because he's going to prison now. <laughs> I, uh, he wouldn't go to prison. He would be shot dead. Yeah, of The course. name of his comic, I don't really want to say the name of his comic, but it sounds like a racist like propaganda thing like against black people, the way it's titled. It's, it's very weird. It's, it's very confused. <sighs> In this Ugh. tiny scene, there are so many layers of confusion because on top of all this, this whole scheme that they're running which doesn't make sense like in its basic concept is also being performed by two people who are at the convention to yeah. sign autographs like they're <laughs> they're well known there so they like literally come there from signing like five autographs yeah. So, like, after they get shot, like, do people just not bring it up that these two comic artists got shot at a comic convention? It just, like, disappears. <laughs> there are so many points in this movie where I would love to sit Kevin down and ask him <laughs> to explain to me what is going on here. What's happening explain in this scene? Yourself. What do these characters want? What are you trying to convey here? And this so is the first of many. What's interesting is it seems like he learned from Clerks. Like he learned his mistakes in storytelling and especially like showing a character as a flawed person. He learned a lot from Clerks. Definitely. But he didn't learn anything about like, he, he got worse at the other stuff. Because <laughs> every other movie has had like an increasingly smaller amount of stuff that I'm like, oh, that's actually interesting. Like this movie, it was a joke in the beginning that Banky, the anchor for Holden's uh, comic book, even though they're best friends, was like sort of overshadowed, like you said, which could be interesting. And then that yeah. is immediately over. Clerks yeah. has like, you know, five minutes of it. Um, Rats had like two minutes with the old lady in the beginning. And, like, I'm just worried about the next one. Because what if there's nothing? I have hopes for Dogma. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't seen it. Everybody says that that might be the good one. Do, I have do, hopes for it. There's too much to talk about. I can't get yeah, into Dogma right now. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. That, that Black Liberation comic, which I, I'm still baffled by. I'm still it's, baffled by the mechanics of it. That's like a two-minute scene yeah. that we have been obsessing over. <laughs> the, the, the name of the comic, by the way, is White hating uh something or other that that's okay. <laughs> just, okay just just to to make it clear to the audience so after this bizarre event where our two leads pretend to get shot by this comic artist in some stunt uh he <laughs> introduces them to Alyssa, Alyssa uh played by joey lauren adams who i have already mentioned but i do think that she is like one of the best performances in like any of Kevin Smith's films. I, I think she's actually really good. I have to say I was a little bit baffled by her uh, acting at times in the movie. Um, I don't know. It wasn't a huge concern for me, but it like, it seems like she's like always 
uh, like smile. She always looks like super delighted, even when she shouldn't. And like, I don't know, maybe that's just the way her face looks. I think it's more in how Kevin portrays that character. Yeah, and it, it becomes more a true. problem later. But in the scenes where like that fits, it makes sense. Early on, she just seems very charming and you understand like why uh, she's appealing because of that. Oh, yeah. And that, but then it starts to get weird later in more serious moments when it seems like she should not be acting so, uh, I don't know, d- delightful. Yeah, definitely. But that's whatever. That's a small... There's more important things to discuss here. So getting into like the main plot of it... So yeah, uh, Ben Affleck, I'm not going to remember the characters' names. Hold Ben Affleck falls in love with Joey Lauren Adams, and then Shocker sees her making out with a girl, which means in this film's universe that she's a lesbian. Wait, 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 wait. I got to back it up because there's, there, were so, there were so many contrivances to get to that point. Because Hooper was already friends with Alyssa, and he apparently knew the whole time that she was, quote, a lesbian. All Mm -hmm. of these characters are comics, artists, or authors. And and he used... Yeah, she's also a comic book writer. Um, And for some reason, Hooper uh, used the promise... uh, He invites uh, Holden to come out to... Uh, some party at a bar, which he insists like isn't like a gay bar. He's like it's not that kind of bar uh, because the, all the characters are very uncomfortable with homosexuality. Um, but yeah. he's like, no, it's not that kind of party. Come on, but it's actually a lesbian bar, and he doesn't tell them that, and he doesn't tell Holden, who obviously likes Alyssa, that Alyssa is gay, and he's like, use he's like, oh, Alyssa's gonna be there, like you know, like. And then, like, they're at the bar, and he's like, oh, there's something you should know about Alyssa, but he doesn't tell... Like, what... I, I'm all... So, I think, actually, Alyssa wanted Hooper to ask Holden there. Because she just really wanted to be friends with him? Yeah, because that's the, like, facade she puts up for most of the movie. It seems obvious from the beginning that she's interested in him. Like, they're very yeah, obviously yeah. attracted to each other. I will say the the moment. So I actually like that bar scene. They get to the bar. Um, Banky shows up, even though Holden tells him not to go, and he's just right. being a dick at the bar. Which you know, who amongst us? But then Holden is like dancing with, uh, what's her name? I'm not gonna. Al- Alyssa. Alyssa. <laughs> with Alyssa, and it's like. Okay, this is a little like they're coming on too strong. Like real back, Kevin. This is the first like fifteen minutes. Then Alyssa gets invited up on stage to sing. She's a really good singer. Never uh, mentioned again. In I don't the movie. know. Uh, say really I mean, good. she's not. But <laughs> she's, you're supposed she's to believe she is. Yeah. You're supposed yeah, okay. to believe she is. In the text of the yeah, film, it, yeah. she is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. And then she sings this love song, and she's looking at Holden the whole time. And then this woman pushes by him, and then she runs out after the song and makes out with the woman. And then Banky starts to look around, and there's like a bunch of women, yeah, making out. <laughs> like, the, the, this mo- this thing dawns on him, and he just like sort of smiles. Yeah, and it's really stupid, but Jason Lee plays it so well that it is funny. And this moment is, is like yeah. devastating for Holden, finding out that this girl that he met yesterday uh, is, yesterday. is gay. <laughs> it's like he's like, and he seems like so angry about it, like he's pissed. Yeah, and I have to say, like, just, like, part of 
part of my difficulty in even talking about this film is that the relationship between the script and the reality of like queer gay sexuality is just so um it's so off that it's hard to even talk about it because it feels like in this world like this is a fantasy world where bisexual people don't exist yeah (laughs) because like she's supposed to be a lesbian but also is interested in Ben Affleck because he's just such a good guy (laughs) because she found the right man. Basically what happens is that she uh, was a liar. Like she lied about being a lesbian from the beginning, even though like they're obviously attracted to each other. Uh, She insisted they couldn't be together because she's gay. And she like at least implied that she's never been with a guy before. And of course that comes up again. But I don't think it's, this is like why it's so confusing for me to talk about is that I think in the logic of the film, she's not lying about being lesbian. Right, right, right. She she is. She she decided to be a lesbian and then she changed her mind again. (laughs) Yeah, she, she, that's it. It's like she chose to be a lesbian and then she changes her mind because Ben Affleck is just so awesome, which also I did not I did not get it at all. Right. Like I did not get no, why she no, was no, interested no. in the him at all. The fucking romantic montage, she looks fucking bored the whole yeah. time. And Ben Affleck's an asshole. There's a th- scene where he's like showing her him making a comic and she's the whole time she's trying to light her cigarette, trying to light her cigarette, trying to light her cigarette. And then it goes to a different scene, comes back, and eventually he gets like fed up and like fixes the lighter or something in a way that I didn't understand. He removed the uh safety from it with his teeth. Yeah. Which is a weird way to do it. I would I wouldn't do that. It's cool. I mean, come on. It's uh, a cool thing to do. Um but but like I don't know, it's scratch my tooth up and If like you're that. like standing there and just like scrap, scrap, like trying to light the lighter, you're bored. You're not like <laughs> trying to smoke you're just bored with whatever he's doing so it didn't seem like they had a great relationship there's a whole uh scene of her like explaining to him how uh, uh lesbian sex works and he's like fascinated by it and it made me feel like what happened was is that before this movie kevin had just learned about lesbians and <laughs> thought that they were like fascinating and he had to make a movie about it in the process he i mean a- we've he, all been there and he oh. accidentally invented uh bisexual people not realizing that that <laughs> also already existed I think that's like maybe the most important thing to really clarify with this film is that watching it what I quickly realized is that this is not a film that's meant for LGBT people. This is a film meant for very dumb, <laughs> very dumb bros uh, to explain to them like, hey, you shouldn't call someone a faggot. <laughs> you, shouldn't, you shouldn't call gay people slurs. I don't know if it's <laughs> the movie actually is clearly against uh, using it's the F little, slur. It's, it's okay. a little centrist on that, but it's like trying to explain just the basics of how gay people exist and how they deserve some amount of respect. And that is yeah. like, I think what was very very progressive about it in 1997 was that people were like, oh, cool, gay people, they're people. (laughs) 
So, like, I do think that there might be, like, a pretty big gulf between, like, the way gay people are seen now and then. Oh, definitely. And I think maybe especially in, like, the way that, like, gay communities have been. So, I'm straight, Mm -hmm. but a lot of my, like, close friends have been, like, a group of all gay people and then me. Um, So, like, part of it was, like, bogglingly that, like, anybody would be mad at their lesbian friend for dating a man yeah yeah that was really weird 20 years ago but i i mean i still don't think so yeah like kevin is sort of trying to be progressive but it it carries a lot of weird sort of maybe stereotypes that people didn't even realize were problems yet i don't think and so (laughs) that's one of the things that i i can't help but like about kevin because as a fellow like we're doing this dumb ass That's the whole point of the show. As a fellow like <laughs> idiot, I can I I really can empathize with a guy who like wants to do the right thing, but yeah. is just dumb as a fucking like brick shit house. So like I do get him wanting to do the, do the right thing, probably talking with people like friends of his about it, and mm-hmm. maybe getting bad advice or maybe getting advice that just aged poorly. Yeah, yeah, Ted, I'm gonna I'm gonna support you on this one. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. <bro. laughs> I mean, I should get like for context. Of you know, all the times um, to defend this man. <laughs> <laughs> for for context, like I'll say, like 1997. Um, I'd have to check, but I'm pretty sure this was the year like when Ellen came out, and it was like a huge shocking thing. So this was like at a pretty bad time for gay representation, and. Part of my difficulty, like, criticizing how, like, how, not Amy, Alyssa's sexuality is portrayed is that the film isn't malevolent. It, like, Kevin is trying very hard to do something that's really good. And I think there's really good intentions behind the film. I bet when it came out, it probably was actually, like, a big deal to some people that maybe had never even really thought about the inner lives of gay people before. So I do have a lot of sympathy for what he's trying to do here, but he just fucks it up in so many (laughs) weird ways that, that are really uncomfortable to like watch right now. Cause I'm like, Oh, you poor baby. You just don't get it. There's even some parts that I think work as like unintentional parody so Hooper, the gay black man who pretends to be like a black Israelite or whatever. I really don't know what I would call him. He's sort of. Yeah, generic. I don't know. He has. First of all, he's the only black character in the film, except when he has a magical Negro moment where um, Holden goes to him for advice. They're at a comic stop shop. Oh, They're that's true. Yeah. Very magical Negro. Oh, like, my oh, God. I forgot. Oh, God. And I was You're thinking right. like, oh, my God, this is. Like, this is very much like that Key and Peele skit because it is so overwrought. And then at the end of it, he sees a little black child. Can't be more than like, mm-hmm. what would you guys say? Like 12? I don't know kids at all. Yeah, um, I, don't know. He's like I think 10. younger. Yeah. 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 A young child goes mm-hmm. over and like signs his comic book and like gives him some like, again, and, and this stuff is like not bad. It's just like the way that they make the character seem, it comes off so wrong. Like, yeah, it's so misguided. Like, keep the fight up stuff, stuff like that. I don't remember exactly Be- because, what he says. Because uh, we understand the context of the movie that he's playing up this extremist persona 
while he's yeah. talking to this child, rather than just being like honest and like representing himself truthfully to a fan. Yeah. So it seems weird and messed up that he's sort of giving like misguided advice to this kid in the guise of like a fake uh, Hotep character. It's bizarre. <laughs> and the thing is, I think that Kevin probably does respect like black comic authors because he clearly understands the history like in the speech that he wrote it was so specific for him that he does understand the history of black authors in comics i mean it's just it's just supposed to be funny i think yeah. i don't think that he's making any kind of strong statement about exactly. about race it, it's, it's just supposed to be like a funny uh tension that this guy is pretending to to be a black extremist to hide his the fact that he's gay just a, it's just a weird concept all around. It's not that funny, actually. <laughs> exactly. And I think maybe this was like a th- more of a thing, like 20 years no, ago. No, this, nev- this was never a thing. I don't know. I'm- this never <laughs> happened. I was one when this movie came <laughs> no, out. No, it, it, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> but that is extremely... Like, I was laughing at that part in sort of a mean way, I felt like. Because I was like... Oh my god. This is I really was, in the movie. <laughs> I was oh, looking boy. away from the screen because I just felt like so embarrassed. So and that's often how I felt throughout this movie was just like em- embarrassment more than anything. Like it was I wasn't bored during this movie. I will say that, but yes. frequently I just had to like look away and put my head in my hands because it just got so painful in certain moments. It was so awkward to watch. It's weird because I've been in a similar situation as Holden, except for I wasn't weird about it. Like, you find out a girl was lying to you about being a lesbian, you're like, oh, well, I can see that. I can see why people, like, do lie about that stuff. I don't know. That seems, like, not that weird to me. I don't, but I have to reiterate, I don't think she's lying. Like, I don't think that's the plot of the film. I don't, yeah, I don't think she's well, lying Well, she sort of uh, lied a little bit for understandable reasons because she, she uh, because he sort of asked like, oh, so you've never been with a guy? And she's like, no, or whatever. I, I actually rewatched because first, because <laughs> I got so bored today <laughs> oh, while I was supposed to be working. I actually watched this movie twice. I'm Awful. so sorry. Uh, and that scene, she doesn't say no. She just ignores the question right. yeah, and yeah. keeps talking. And so what I was sort of almost expecting was that, so the joke in the beginning that doesn't land is a joke that Holden makes about priest like priest abusing children sexually. Oh. And so God. I was expecting for oh, her to have no. like sexual trauma and I was dreading it. Like Oh yeah. I Gosh. I was like I need to turn this off before it gets to the end cuz I'm going to freak out. And then as it goes along I start to see that no that was just like another one of those weird Kevin things yeah. where it yeah. seems like it has a direction and doesn't go, but like that was terrifying me for half the movie. And it's not like I have a sensitivity to that stuff or anything, but it's just like, I don't want to see how he handles it. <laughs> I truly I, do not want to see how it's kidding. So the, her, her big secret, sh- should we talk about this? Yeah. I want to focus in on like, uh, Holden and Alyssa and, and their whole relationship. So yeah. yeah explain the, the secret that gets revealed, which causes massive conflict. Okay. So, um, Alyssa, we believe, is a lesbian, but Holden and Alyssa are in love, so they've started dating, and the presumption is that he's, like, changed her. Like, 
He's the mm-hmm. he thinks he's the only guy she's ever been with. She's stopped being a lesbian just to be with him. Her <laughs> her lesbian friends are like disappointed with her and shunning her because she's turning her back on lesbianism. Um, so that's like the whole thing that's going on. And if, and Banky uh, is really mad about it. <laughs> and, and this is a really weird thing because if you t- if you took out the whole lesbian angle to this movie, it's basically a movie about a guy who's mad that his friend has a girlfriend. Um, Justified reason to be mad. Yeah. <laughs> so like Banky is still pissed off that they're dating. He doesn't trust her or whatever. So he goes and does some detective work and digs up a, a nasty story about her from high school. Uh, and then the thing is, Banky is correct. Like, she was misleading him. Like, Banky, at the end of the movie, has done nothing wrong. What? No, 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 no. He hasn't done nothing wrong because well, it, he's yeah. been a complete piece of shit yeah, throughout yeah, yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, but, co- but constantly like, homophobic. for it. I yeah, mean, yeah. He's Banky constantly, is not a good guy. He's homophobically berating <laughs> his friend, first for being friends with a lesbian and then for dating one. Which we'll get into a whole yeah, other yeah, there, thing. We got, there's... Yeah. Anyway. Finger cuffs. So, ba- so basically the big... Se- yeah, finger cuffs. The big secret is that Alyssa had a threesome with two guys in high school. And... <laughs> it's a traumatizing secret to come out. This destroys Ben Affleck yeah, he, when he hears he about it. He can't handle it because... And this is actually... Yeah. This is actually something that almost hints at a little bit of maturity is the fact that like you know, Ben Affleck is dealing with the uh, whole, uh, whatever, the Madonna tour complex or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. That he wants, he wants to believe that he's the only guy she's ever been with. And that creates a special kind of attraction for him thinking Mm -hmm. that she's never been with any guys before. Lo and behold, she's been with lots of guys and she's been with multiple guys at the same time. And she's done every like nasty thing that, Holden can imagine and that eats away at him so he confronts her in a very public way at a hockey game <laughs> about it which I think just Kevin wanted to shoot a hockey game yeah yeah <laughs> which you know that's cool yeah and this was uh this was kind of a turn in the movie I didn't totally expect like god there's there's so much to get into I already found their whole relationship so bizarre. Yeah. I didn't buy any of it because Holden doesn't seem like a great guy. Like, I don't see why she'd be interested in him. We didn't even talk about Holden's big love confession in the car in the rain. That, That's what I wanted that to get speech, to. Oh, yeah. go, go ahead. Is that like Holden confesses his love for Alyssa parked in a car in the rain somewhere and lightning strikes while he's while he's talking like it is portrayed (laughs) as a really bad thing that he's doing um and it scares her and that was actually a moment where i was with the movie because i was like oh my god kevin actually understands that this is a bad thing that's going on and I kind of thought maybe the movie was going to go into another direction because she calls him out and she says, like, it's fucked up for you to do that kind of a thing. And I was like, hell yeah, like, right on. This is actually, like, surprisingly good. And then she walks off screen and then she runs back and starts making out with him. (laughs) And she's suddenly over being a lesbian and she's and she's with Ben Affleck. And the next Uh, scene, Banky finds them naked in their, like, office or whatever. Yeah. So then it's like, okay, then they're together after that. Yeah. The weird thing, I think, with the relationship is that 
I think the actors do like a pretty good job of the chemistry, but the story doesn't. Yeah. So like, no. I don't know why they would be together, but it seems like they are. Yeah. The, the um the the turn though that I wanted to talk about was that most of the first mo- most of the first part of the movie is just like this almost anthropological view of lesbians as like a separate species that <laughs> Kevin is fascinated by. But then after they get together and he starts investigating her and she still sticks by him, even though he's being creepy and weird and an asshole. She really the, the, she really wants to be friends with him for some reason. The, the movie suddenly turns to not be about um, like LGBT politics and starts to be about like basically like like slut shaming like that becomes more of the topic of the film yeah. is like holden dealing with the fact that his girlfriend has had partners in the past and like jason lee also losing his mind about it yeah and that's like basically what the second half of the movie is about and i didn't see that coming and i think that stuff is a lot um is even worse written than the gay stuff because as Kevin Smith says himself in the film, and I looked up afterwards, Kevin was raised Catholic. So Kevin is a, he's a practicing Catholic. He's still Catholic. Is he? Yeah. So there is just some very weird uh, pathology around women's sexuality coming out. And even when he's oh, yeah. like criticizing himself for it, by the end, it, it doesn't it doesn't feel like it really pays off. It doesn't feel satisfying to me. Like by the end, I still feel like it's portrayed as a really bad thing for women to have other partners, but it's like something that a guy just has to get over basically. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's a really unfortunate and tragic thing from her past, but it's just something she had to go through and something she had to work out on her road her long bumpy road to discovering that what she really wanted was to be with fucking goatee ass Ben Affleck. <laughs> the author of Blunt Man and Chronic. Yeah, Blunt and, and also I just wanted to say, I think in the earlier scene with the love confession, I didn't have the same reaction as you did because I have seen the movie before, so I did know where it was going. So I didn't like pick up anything sinister about that scene. I just was... Uh, it was I was just driven insane by the his love confession speech that goes on and on and on and I just so imagined long. Kevin writing this and just like not stopping and I'm just like dude <laughs> you could you could just stop writing this monologue at any point you don't have to keep doing this yeah. <laughs> I, I had actively avoided watching this film for so long it's only this podcast that has gotten <laughs> me to watch i it. saw it so long ago i was a kid i don't remember how old and it was weird to me then like i could tell mm-hmm. i could tell that this stuff wasn't quite right i wasn't like mature enough to really understand what was wrong with it but like yeah. i knew like the basic things that didn't make sense like what i thought she was a lesbian like what are they talking about <laughs> you know so, so i don't i don't necessarily think that you know Obviously, uh, sexual politics and and LGBTQ politics weren't as well understood in 1997, 
but I don't think that he has the complete excuse of ignorance that like nobody could have known what was wrong with this movie at the time. So one thing that like is very Kevin to me is that like the asshole best friend Banky plays by Jason Lee at the end, like he's never shown to be wrong substantially. Like he's a homophobe and they call him out on that, but like nothing ever happens. Well, and there's the one a, thing there's that- a conclusion to his homophobia though. Sort of. I and mean, we'll get to the, moment. <laughs> the one thing that he's always talking about is like, Banky's kind of an asshole, but he's got like a great nose for bullshit. And Banky's the one that figures out that like she's been misleading him. So it's shown right. as like, oh, you got to listen to your like your homies, you know? His uh, homophobia and his misogyny and stuff is very much just played off as like a funny quirk. Like it's it's called out in a moment. Yeah. But it's not like a serious thing. It's like you shouldn't say these slurs because uh, it's rude, basically. We understand that he's wrong and he's an asshole. The mo- like the movie knows that he's homophobic, but it's not like... <laughs> it, it doesn't it, like go to anything to actually condemn the behavior. It's just like, no, no, well, shouldn't do no. that. Yeah, well, he I mean... He gets along with Alyssa. And Hooper. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hooper's like his good friend and he gets along with Alyssa, but he like fundamentally hates lesbians and thinks that lesbians (laughs) are all against men. (laughs) That's true. He drops so many slurs against lesbians throughout this movie. (laughs) Yeah, he's like incredibly homophobic and but it's just like you're just supposed to feel like, oh, he's kind of an asshole. Like he needs to lighten up or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) And and but then of course the big reveal with Banky, according to his friend Holden, Holden tells him that the reason that he's so homophobic is because he's secretly gay and he's in love with Holden and all of this shit is just his jealousy because he wants to fuck Holden. And then, so that's where I have a question because yeah. <laughs> do you think, because I don't think that he is. No, I think, he, he, uh, he, I don't spo- know. spoilers, he is because... Uh, You're fucking we we me. we see him again in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. God and damn I'm it! Pretty, no way! Yeah, God and damn I, it! And I'm pretty sure he like has a boyfriend. It would have oh been a God. much better conclusion for him to not be gay and Holden to just be incredibly wrong. Well, yeah, but oh also uh, it there's like a more nuanced version of that where like you don't have to literally be gay and in love with your friend to like be jealous that he has a girlfriend you know what i mean yeah it's a little too on the nose that's a dynamic that can exist in friendship that doesn't necessarily have to go all the way to one side it can be like uh, more complicated than that but of course uh, also the um it's considered like a trope now that like, oh, all, all, trope, all homophobes yeah. are just secretly gay themselves. But back in the 90s, I think that was actually kind of a novel idea and seen as a smart thing to say. So <laughs> I don't know how much I can fault it, but it is really stupid. That's true, yeah. And it seems like the fact that he secretly gay is the excuse for him just being an awful, toxic piece of shit yeah. throughout the whole movie. And it's like, oh, okay. It's not his fault he said all those horrible things and was a terrible friend. It's just because he's gay. He can't help it. Personally, if there was going to be a gay reveal in this movie, I wish it was uh, Jay and Silent Bob. That would have been <laughs> a been better great. reveal. The, 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 honestly, if Kevin really wanted to really be courageous and really go all the way with it, Holden and Banky should have just been gay together at the end. Like that's, <laughs> it's like went Dude's all rock. the way. 
It went all the way to that almost <laughs> Dude's happening. Dude's Rock, yeah. But Kevin not... needs to make a Dude's Rock movie. Yeah. And because if he avoids women, I think he could do it. I think he could do it. <laughs> if, if he doesn't write uh, women, if he doesn't write black people, <laughs> if he, if Which, he like, only writes people in his demographic, yeah. I think he it's might maybe be okay. okay. Like I think it's maybe, maybe okay to not be able to write women or black people if you're not. A woman or a black person? If you just—he doesn't seem able to. <laughs> I mean, I—I I think it's worth noting. I could be wrong about this, but I'm thinking through all of his movies that I've seen, and after this movie, I don't think he ever wrote a gay character ever again. <laughs> Maybe he learned. <laughs> I think I he wrote exclusively heterosexual uh, characters after this. <laughs> um, before before we get into the big finale, which definitely <laughs> deserves discussion, I just want to talk about the Jay and Silent Bob scene. Okay, because I actually think it was pretty good. Like it was fine. Yeah, it was all right. Jay and Silent Bob remain like a staple in these movies, and I surprisingly don't mind them. I thought I would get really annoyed, but I'm actually happy to see them. And I thought this was the best scene in the movie. What's interesting is if you remember from last episode of We Need to Talk About Kevin, they have Jay say like, "I don't fucking say snoochy boochies, dude," because the comic <laughs> is ostensibly about. Yeah. Jay and Silent Bob. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, but Kevin, you wrote them saying that in your last movie. So maybe it's an <laughs> acknowledgement of that was stupid, or maybe it's yeah. a, that's a dumb I corporate so. thing that they made them do. No, it's Kevin oh. it's Kevin being aware of his own <laughs> shitty writing and apologizing for it. Yeah, which I'm okay with. Because look, <laughs> Mallrats was like savaged by critics and it like people didn't start to appreciate it until later when it got a cult following or whatever. So I think that Kevin Smith probably sat down down and thought about all the stuff that was shitty about mall rats and it's like okay this is going to be my big comeback i gotta do something smart yeah. i gotta make something deep so 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 yeah so he throws in these kind of like lampshading moments like apologizing for his own shittiness <laughs> yeah at the uh the jay and silent bob scene though like uh i thought it was I thought it was pretty well written for the most part. Yeah. I thought yeah. it was pretty well acted. And the bar is just so low. It's such a low bar. <laughs> this is something I, I forgot to mention in the good section, but the sound design in this movie is actually quite good. It is, yeah. Uh, it, like in, there's multiple moments throughout the movie where the sound design really works. Like when they're in the bar and it sounds like uh, like an alarm going off when uh, he sees uh, Alyssa making up the girl, <laughs> but then it's actually part of the soundtrack. Uh, and in the hockey game, similar thing happens. Uh, the the thunder during his monologue, and then in the set in the Jay and Silent Bob scene. There's this kind of like jazzy drum track that almost reminded me of some like Birdman and it changes while they're talking. Like it it stops on certain punchlines yeah. and when it switches uh. between them, it changes up too. And it gave it this kind of cool jazzy feeling that I was actually kind of into. I hated the music in that scene. Oh, I can't no. lie. <laughs> so one thing that um, I really liked about the sound design is a lot of times... So in most movies, especially nowadays, every single voice track is panned dead center, front and center. There's no like ambiance to it except for to fit it in the room. Yeah. A lot of times in this, it would drop off to one side as like the voice gets disconnected or as like the character you're all you're like focusing on stops listening, which I think is like a very simple but effective technique, especially one that like isn't used that much anymore. So I really That's liked cool. that. 
And then, of course, I feel like we're going to be very divided on this moment. <laughs> uh, Kevin gets his big acting scene. He gets a big ass monologue as Silent Bob. Trev, I want to ask, how did you feel about Kevin's monologue? <laughs> I could live without it, uh, uh, honestly. <laughs> I I don't think the Jay and Silent Bob aspect of the movie is needed. Uh, it it felt very self indulgent and kind of I don't know mm-hmm. a little narcissistic like that he a needs little, to yeah. it's it's one thing to ha- like have himself you know like cameo in his own movies or whatever but that he has to like show up to explain the title and deliver the message of the movie to the main character like he's fucking God coming down from heaven the main character who is him yeah so yeah. he's his own Deus Ex Machina talking to himself in his own fucking jerk off script like <laughs> and come this on is all like it's in not the text it's... explicitly which i sort of respect Ugh. in the sense that like kevin is like okay i really got to make sure people understand this i know i'm doing a stupid thing like he has jay even say like oh yeah this asshole uh he doesn't talk most of the time so he thinks it's so important when i so it'll seem so important when he does have something to say he's fucking lampshading everything in this scene <laughs> And I don't think it's like terribly executed, but it also just makes me feel like, fuck off, Kevin. Like, I know what you're doing. It's stupid. So then, of course, after the big Jay and Silent Bob scene, we move into what we have been holding off of talking throughout this whole podcast about. This is the scene that made me and Trev message each other and be like, we need to do an emergency pod tonight. <laughs> uh, which we didn't do, thankfully. Um, so for the, the listening audience, the fin- the finale of this film is that Ben Affleck, the, cl- the climax of this film is that Ben Affleck sits down, Alyssa and Jason Lee in the apartment. And he says, look, I know there's been tension between all of us. I have a solution to solve it. And his solution is for, well, I mean, first, okay. <laughs> first, he, first he goes to Jason Lee and he says, the reason why you're upset that I'm with Alyssa is because you're secretly in love with me. And then they kiss. He and like then forces he, a kiss he, on the Jason. Yeah, he forces kisses kiss. him to prove to him that he's gay, and and it works. Yeah. and that happened earlier with Hooper, and there is like sort of a funny moment where he's just like only a little. Like you expect him to be like, "Oh, what the fuck, dude!" But he's just like wipes his mouth off. It's like, eh. It's not as aggressive. He also has a monologue earlier when he's talking about how he doesn't understand lesbians. And he's saying like, oh, oh, but gay guys, I get because it's like a dick. Because like you need to have a dick. Like everyone needs a dick or whatever. Like (laughs) hinting hinting at the fact that his problem is that he's secretly gay. And the reason he doesn't trust lesbians is because he just doesn't like women. (laughs) That is also like whether Kevin intended it or not, that is actually a surprisingly pointed observation about like heterosexual guys. But I cannot get into that psychology right now because we are already (laughs) so deep into the film and I need to say what happens next, which is that Ben Affleck says that the only way for them to solve this issue between them, this tension, is for them to have a threesome together. (laughs) 
For them to have sex together <laughs> is the way that he phrases it. I this is what the film's been building to. I lost it because I didn't I think he was going to... I, like, I thought he was going to say that, but I didn't. You know how you like you think... You know you're supposed to think something. I didn't think that. So like, I wasn't seeing it coming. I, I had this thing where I was like, oh... I, I, as soon as I saw them on the couch together, I was like, oh, he's going to suggest they're going to have a threesome. And I was like, well, maybe not. Because <laughs> maybe that's what I'm supposed to think. And then, no, he does it. And... um. Um, Alyssa is like, un- like completely correctly appalled. Like, are you fucking insane? Yeah. Like, no, I don't have a threesome with it, you and your shitty. Friends. It's so it's so obvious that she wouldn't be into it. Like, she clearly already hates Spanky. <laughs> but- and then, so I think that that is like almost a moment of like a little bit more introspection from Kevin Smith, where he's allowed this character to be so completely wrong by the end of the movie. But I need to point out, though, that, like, her response is not the response of, like, an actual woman that would be in that scenario. Um, But, like, I found early in the film her character I really bought and I really understood. And by the end of it, like, she stops being a real person at a certain point. And in this section, her response to it, like, I think any normal person would just say what the fuck no yeah. <laughs> this is this is who the fuck do you think you are suggesting something like this like i'm not gonna just have a threesome <laughs> with your best friend because it's gonna solve your friendship <laughs> she goes into like this long yeah. like crying monologue about i think specifically she said that she's not gonna be his whore and yeah. like it becomes this real thing about like how she used to have threesomes but she's not anymore and it it comes back to this kind of (laughs) underlying idea which i think kevin thinks he's criticizing but just becomes reinforced that like stuff like having a threesome or having like a lot of partners is like inherently wrong and she's like no i've left that life behind me it's like she's more pure now or something it's not the response that it should be, which is just that, like, no, I'm not going to do this because I don't want to, and that's a fucked up thing to ask. Yeah, It's, like, it's a much deeper psychology. She seems, like, way too uh, lucid about the situation. Like, she gives a Super detailed... Lucid, yeah. She gives, like, a ec- detailed explanation of all of the potential problems of having a threesome, like, all of oh, the yeah, ways that it could yeah. go wrong. And, like, she's saying stuff that sort of makes sense. It's like she needs a reason. Yeah. But it's like she thought way too hard about it when in real life, in the moment, like, you wouldn't give all that explanation. It would just be like, no, what the fuck's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, she talks about, like, how maybe if they have a threesome, she'll end up liking... Banky uh, more <laughs> or, than she likes Holden and all this complex Or she'll look at him, stuff. Banky, in a certain way that'll make him too jealous and will fuck everything up. And it's like, okay, like you're making some solid points, but it's like, why are you explaining all this? And that's something that would come more from like if they had a serious discussion for a long time yeah. about whether or not they wanted yeah. to do it instead of it being sprung on her when her. <laughs> reaction should just be something very simple it should just be like a fuck off and walk out of the apartment yeah that scene i was shocked i was i mean anyone who's on the discord can see that i was posting pretty (laughs) frantically because i was like i cannot believe what i'm watching right now 
this is not what I expected the end of the film to be. I need to go back and look at that because I didn't. I didn't want to like spoil myself on this <laughs> awful movie, so I didn't look at any of that. Um, but oh my god, I was. I've never like. I don't often feel like super bad after seeing a movie. This movie was like I ate like way too much fried food. Like I was mm. just like, oh yeah. Oh, and then so there is an epilogue after this yeah, scene. Yeah. So th- this scene ends with both uh, Banky and Alyssa walking out. They all three break up. <laughs> yeah, which is very funny. <laughs> um, and then it's one year later. They're back at a comic con. Same interior from the beginning of the movie. Um, Banky. Jason Lee's character is there alone signing autographs and the guy comes up to him has him sign one of the issues um of blunt man and chronic yeah blunt man and chronic yeah he's like oh this is worth so much now man it's like a collector's item and then he's like oh but your new book is like even better dude the fart joke in it is so good (laughs) which that is like i thought that's very funny like that's a pretty good moment and then while this guy is like praising him he catches the eye oh my god holden from across the floor and they have this mind-boggling exchange (laughs) i do not understand it at I all. Gotta, I gotta say, they, Holden and Banky right here, have a very gay moment. Like, it Extremely. really it really seems like this movie should have ended with a romance between them. So, did the finger thing, did that come up before? Wait, what was the finger thing? Finger thing? I know he makes a bunch of, like, gestures at him from across yeah. the room, instead of just going over there and talking to him like a human well, being. And, like, I sort of get that. That's sort of like a trope, but... He's looking at him and he's they're staring into each other's eyes. <laughs> Banky does this thing where he holds up his fingers parallel and brings them closer together. Holden responds by holding up two of his fingers crossed, like you know, cross your fingers for good luck. Yeah. Does that come up in the movie besides that? I, I think so. I don't know. I didn't even remember the specific gestures no. they made. I just... blew my fucking mind. <laughs> I just finished this movie like two hours ago. So, but like, I guess three. I I might have been a little bit drunk by this point in the movie. So I didn't (laughs) remember all this too clearly. And then, so that, then that, that scene's over. Nothing is explained, Mm -hmm. which I think is fine. I think it's fucking weird, but whatever. It's really bizarre. And then he goes over to Alyssa, who's signing comic books, drops a book on her desk. She doesn't look up. She's like, oh, this isn't one of mine. And he says, I know. Or it's something my, like that. It's like, mine. It's mine. Like in a cool guy way. And he's yeah. written a comic called Chasing Amy, Chasing Amy. which is a shitty black uh, and white comic Alyssa. that's full, fully autobiographical, using her actual name and everything. Very creepy. Yeah. And, and it's like, end, it's who, like who wants Alyssa. to read that fucking comic book, you weirdo? Yeah. And of course, she's with her new girlfriend uh, who doesn't know Star Trek because she's a fake, she's a fake uh, nerd yeah, girl. Fake gamer girl. Fake Let me know. Uh, Alyssa is cool now because her well, yeah. her girlfriend at least is cool. Um, and then uh, Ben Affleck walks away, and Alyssa's girlfriend is like, "Oh, who's that?" <laughs> and Melissa just looks and says, "Oh, just some guy I knew." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then you get that last shot of Ben Affleck, and it's like, "Yep, he's really changed. We really went through something." Uh, every, everybody's so mature now one year later 
Yeah. It was they could none of they could none of them could have possibly uh repaired their friendships at all like from these very <laughs> honestly pretty minor problems. Like These are things you can get. Yeah, over. like he had he had one fight with her over the fact that like she didn't tell him that he about having sex with guys when she was younger and he overreacted and all he had to do was like apologize. You know, mm-hmm. and like, and him and Jason Lee, like, yeah, they have I to. Don't they see have any to, reason why they wouldn't be friends. They have to stop being friends now. It's bizarre. And then at the I, comic bizarre. convention, he can't even go up and say hi to him. He has to do this weird uh, <laughs> pantomime from across the room to talk. So to him. I, I can sort of buy uh, Jason Lee and Affleck not being friends if Jason Lee is gay and needs to figure that out. I can sort of buy them like. Not talking for a year. Maybe. Yeah. That is he I can get. Uh, in he, the, are we he, going with him, he, him he, being he gay? He is. I believe that's the intention of the movie. Okay. If I remember... Uh, or, well, or bisexual, I, I yeah. guess. Even though in this film, bisexuality is just never brought yeah, up. No, like, it's not a concept. I, I, I Was think, it a concept I think, back then? <laughs> oh, definitely. I think definitely. that he's fully gay and that... Um, Okay, so in the awful scene we didn't even talk about where they're sharing stories of eating girls out and getting injured. Oh, or yeah, whatever. we skipped over. Yeah, we don't even need to explain that one. It's bad. But um, Jason Lee says that he doesn't eat girls out anymore because he always gets injured somehow while doing it. But I, I liked that scene. I honestly think between that scene where he's like, oh, I don't eat girls out anymore, like, and the one where he's talking about how, you know, being gay makes sense to him or whatever. All of that, I think, is foreshadowing the fact that he is gay. He doesn't actually like women. Yeah. I mean, I have to put myself into a mindset of somebody who doesn't understand gay people to, like, understand what's <laughs> yeah, going on yeah, in this, exa- in this exactly. movie. I have to, like, erase my knowledge yeah. of what gay people are like and, for this to all make sense. And unless sense. I'm remembering wrong, when we do see Banky at the end of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, we'll find out in a couple weeks he has, like, a boyfriend. Or there's, like, a okay, throwaway yes. joke about him being gay Stay now. tuned, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Um, before, before we move on from this movie, I also wanted to point out that there's uh, a lot of view as yes. universe building in this. Uh, we get Dante, um, Brian O'Halloran showing up as this time Jim Hicks, yeah. and which I thought was a pretty good performance. I'm actually starting to like seeing him pop up. Also with yeah. Matt Damon, yeah. which was surprising. For like a second. Yeah. Yeah, very, very quick. Uh, we get like references to clerks and mole rats with, uh, I think Alyssa mentions that like, I, I is, uh, the girl in clerks like her cousin? She says her best something? friend. She says, her she says, friend, my best yeah. friend fucked a dead guy there while they're talking yeah. about the quick yeah. stop. The quick stop also shows up again in the later scene with the, with the guy talking about the finger cuffs story takes place oh, outside oh, the quick you're stop. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then sh- the, that actress who plays Alyssa is also in mall rats as like yes. a yeah. sexually promiscuous woman. I think we're supposed to infer. Yeah. She's TS's <laughs> ex-girlfriend. The one that, yeah. uh, right. Cheated yeah. On him a bunch. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Uh, the, I counted four references to characters from the previous two movies, but I might've missed a couple. Uh, and then, of course, Jay and Silent Bob, of course, well, uh, yeah. 
also talk about they like mention mall rats yeah uh and we get like the snoochie boogie stuff uh there is a lot of uh you know mcu style cinematic universe building in this one this is like I, I guess Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back or whatever is probably the Avengers of oh, the Viewers ab- Universe. Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Kevin Smith was doing Avengers way before Avengers. These uh, these initial films are like you know like like Captain America and and Thor and stuff. Like it's slowly building up the universe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with the, the, multiple Ben Afflecks and multiple Jason Lee. Yeah, this is like the uh, Edward Norton Incredible Hulk of the viewers <laughs> universe. Um, d- during during that scene with the where they're swapping the eating out stories, uh, one of the girls that Banky talks about was Brandy Svenning, who was the main love right. interest for Mallrats. And he talks oh, about he talks about her yeah. dad pulling his hair or whatever. So that dad was of course the dad from Mallrats. Uh, also, in the big fight outside of the hockey game, when um, Alyssa is talking about all the the you know nasty stuff she did with guys, uh, mm-hmm. she mentions uh, sh- I fucked Shannon Hamilton and he videotaped it. And Shannon Hamilton is Ben Affleck's character from Mallrats, the one that goes to jail for statutory rape. Oh, right. yeah, yeah. And uh, okay. there was maybe one other one that I forgot, but yeah, it's a lot of stuff Weird. like that. Yeah, linking up. That's interesting. Um, so, I mean, my God, that was such an in-depth. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh, there's one more thing that I feel oh, I need to mention is in the clerk's lost scene, the animated scene that we were all baffled yeah. by, uh, Alyssa yeah. actually appears in that scene and Randall no and Randall You're calls right. and Randall says, hey, finger cuffs. No Which way. adds credence to the idea that Kevin Smith is lying when he says that's from the original script, because he clearly put a backwards reference right. into a later movie in it. Whoa! But it, Kevin's it all, doing like a George Lucas ties special together. Edition. Yeah, he planned it all along, just like George Lucas. It's like poetry, <laughs> guys. It rhymes. Um, Ted, I have to. I, I think it was you that was, that was saying that this felt like eating a bunch of greasy yeah. food. Uh, I have to agree with that sentiment. After I watched Chasing Amy um, and me and Trevor messaging, I was saying like, I have to watch something good now to like, it's like you need to, to eat wash the taste out of my mouth. Yeah, yeah. I just felt like awful afterwards. And I think I, I don't think I actually did watch something. I think I just went immediately to bed. This, this is, <laughs> I, was like uh, so, uh, I was so exhausted by I'll it. tell you what I did, because watching this movie made me remember why I used to hate Ben Affleck, <laughs> because Ben Affleck is such a shitty guy in this movie. So I watched that movie Triple Frontier, where he plays like a badass uh, special forces guy, because I wanted to see modern cool Ben Affleck <laughs> to... Uh, <laughs> Because I'm like, yeah, Ben Affleck is cool. The modern Ben Affleck, they're like completely different people. <laughs> 90s Ben Affleck, he was a yeah. little shithead. Fuck him. Yeah, I like Ben Affleck now because of uh, I like him as Batman. Love him as Batman. I, great Batman. I like him uh, in Gone Girl. Uh, I He's good at playing an asshole. It's insane to me. I kept thinking about the fact that this guy in this movie was the same Ben Affleck who played Batman. And I just, mm-hmm. my mind couldn't like compute that. The thing that's insane to me is Matt Damon used to be hot. I, I like <laughs> oh, know yeah, that, sure. but I can't believe it because you see him now and he looks like 
not hot. Like he's just <laughs> not at all. Ben Affleck only got hotter. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they kind of switched places as they aged. Does uh does Goodwill Hunting fit into the Viewsk universe? <laughs> it it doesn't. Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. It doesn't, but it is kind of a spiritual cousin because uh, it feels like Kevin it. Smith was a producer on Goodwill yeah. Hunting. Oh, that makes and, sense. And uh, so that's kind of why he was friends, I guess, with Ben and Matt, and why Matt shows up in this movie. Mm. <laughs> fans, uh, let so, us, fans, let us know if you want us to watch Goodwill Hunting. No, don't. People have started suggesting movies outside of the universe. How do you like them? <laughs> We're gonna have to probably watch Goodwill Hunting eventually. Oh. We'll see. Um. So, closing thoughts on chasing Amy. Uh, I'll just say for myself that this conversation, like, uh, when I was thinking about talking about this movie, I was thinking about how to dive into like the 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 LGBT and sexual politics of it. But in conversation, I'm realizing it's actually I don't think I got super deep into it because this film is just so deeply confused that it's like there's not a lot of like gay politics for me to talk about with it because it's not, it doesn't feel really attached to the reality of living as a gay person. So what I end up with is this bizarre romantic comedy that is just constantly, constantly um, uncomfortable yeah. to watch. It feels so if it has such an intention to portray reality and to portray these characters in a complex way, but every element of it is so misguided that it feels, um, it's just, it's baffling to watch. I, and, and I was so exhausted by it by the end. So for me, like talking about it, I, th I liked a lot more from it than I thought I did oh, immediately after watching it. Like I, I still don't like it, but I think that like as a technical craft, it's much better than it's a huge improvement, huge improvement yeah. than the last two. And there's also some things in it that I thought were improvements on his older movies, but it's just the whole thing doesn't quite come together. So I'm actually kind of excited to watch Dogma because I do Man. think he has a good movie in him. I believe in Kevin Smith still. Um, and like, I don't know, like I think that you could synthesize this with clerks and come out with like a good movie almost. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm going to keep giving you shots, Kevin. Uh, I think you're a good guy. <laughs> Keep going for Le it. I like know. I said, I, I the bar for Kevin is so low <laughs> that it's so easy. Because I, I like I agreed with you guys that like oh on a technical level like this is a little bit better. He's improved. Like, but it's like when you start. I think Rose used the word beautiful talking about how the movie looked earlier, and I'm like, okay, yeah. come on, that's you're crazy. <laughs> no, I, I think it's like I think. There is some legitimately good shots in it. Like, it looks really it's nice. It's fine. On a purely technical level, it's <laughs> fine. Like, that's really the best I can say about it. You know, I'm starting to think, I'm starting to suspect the two of you uh, uh, have this idea have this idea in your head that Kevin Smith might hear this someday. I just... <laughs> and I, you no, don't want to be too mean like to him. <laughs> and I take exception to this because this is supposed to be my safe space to say whatever I want. 
about Kevin, and I don't want him listening to this. Kevin, if you're listening to this, shut it off right now. I mean, this isn't for, this like isn't for you. <laughs> yeah, I should have maybe put that at the beginning. Of the, yeah, now three episodes into the show, I'm telling you, Kevin, stop listening. <laughs> No, keep listening. No, Kevin. do not listen. This is my this is my safe space. No, Kevin's allowed. So I, I I genuinely and I think maybe this is like an issue I have is like I do want to believe the best about people, especially Kevin, who like doesn't seem like he's done that many things like aggressively wrong or bad in his life. Yeah, like, he does seem like a nice guy to me, and in these movies. It seems like he slowly, very slowly, but surely does recognize these faults yeah. and does try and build on them. So I, I'm like, I, I, so basically when we started this podcast, I was like busy, so I wasn't talking about it <laughs> and I didn't know what it was going to be about. For a while, I didn't think I was supposed to be on it. Um, <laughs> and I was like, oh, that sounds like an interesting idea. Like I've seen part of Clerks and I'm like really enjoying the the act of like learning about Kevin <laughs> as you go along because I do think he's an interesting person in the yeah. way that like everybody is an interesting person where like every person has a deep complex layer of like weird shit on them and you oh, yeah. a lot of times people just ignore it and then in a lot of movies we only look at like you know the classic archetypes of people and where I think Kevin's movies are different and I think are to be admired, even if, you know, these three are not great movies, um, is that they, they depict people that are very confused and not very realistic, but they show that they show a reality of Kevin and of people that he knows rather than like the characters. I don't know or, if that makes or any his, or sense. Or his concept no. of the reality of those people. Exactly, exactly, yeah. No, I, I agree, because um, I was actually thinking about this today, and I was thinking that, like, um, of course, with Kevin, I'm a little biased, because I did grow up really admiring him. He was, like, an inspiration to me as a young filmmaker. But I, I do find it interesting to watch what is basically a collection of very auteur films, from somebody who just isn't the kind of person that would usually make it into Hollywood. Exactly. And and it made me kind of think like, man, I wish there could be more people that would have opportunities like Kevin. Because it's not often you just get like a pretty average dude who gets the chance to make not just one, but like like a dozen films that are completely of his own vision. And there is something very interesting about that. Him being him being someone that I feel like I could run into on the street, like him feeling like someone that I know. And I think that's why with watching Chasing Amy, the more I talk about it, the less angry it actually makes me. And even rewatching it, I wasn't as upset as I was the first time. Because the first time I was so on edge because I knew the the topic he was dealing with and I was just like so stressed out about what he was going to say about about lesbians um but I can't get that upset about it because it's almost like this like oh shucks you're you're really trying (laughs) (laughs) if it feels like a friend that I have that is just like uh or, or like like an uncle or something like that that is maybe not the brightest <laughs> maybe doesn't get everything right but there's a genuine 
effort to his projects, and especially this one. I, I could be friends with growth. Kevin. Like I could not be friend with almost any other artist yeah. that like God. I watch a lot this of this stuff. This is getting you guys. Kevin you guys like need to relax. Guy, this is getting this is going. This is. <laughs> but and and with this one, I, I, with this okay, one, I, I get it. Jesus Christ, this is killing me. But, but with this one specifically, it makes me interested too because this film does feel like it's almost closing out an era for Kevin. Like it does feel like an acknowledgement of stuff that's happened in his movies. It feels like a lot of self criticism. And I'm kind of curious, like, what happens after this film, like, where he goes from here. Well, I would say that in terms of the quality of his movie, the arc of the quality of his movies, <laughs> we are now approaching the high watermark, and that wave is going to come crashing down hard. <laughs> I'm excited for Dogma. Yeah, I, I, I mean, there's like uh, between this movie and Dogma is probably like the pinnacle of what he can achieve as a filmmaker, <laughs> and uh, any any perceived uh, growth that you may have noticed uh, up to this point, Ted, is going to be <laughs> seriously squandered. <laughs> but um, you uh. know. I think that it's time to shift our focus from Kevin Smith, the filmmaker, to Kevin Smith, the man. Yeah. In a little segment that we like to call Kevin's Receipts. <laughs> uh, and I believe uh, Rose brought something special to uh, share with the class uh, about Kevin today. Is that right? Uh, yeah. So... Um... This week, I thought I would switch it up instead of uh, a regular kind of cringy, <laughs> embarrassing, funny Kevin post. I have a very sweet one oh. here uh, I wanted to share um, that I brought for you two specifically. <laughs> okay, so this is uh, from his Instagram a couple years ago. It says, um, in a perfect world... At the real Stanley oh, would have turned ninety-seven. Oh today. my god! <laughs> what? And he would be no, held in no, the no, Hague. No, go, go, go ahead. <laughs> but I see him every night of the at Jane Silent Bob hashtag reboot roadshow tour when he closes our credits in the at IMDb clip from the at Comic Con hashtag IMDb out. And every night he gets the loudest, most loving response from everyone in the. You guys are laughing. I don't understand. No, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Ted, please compose yourself. A, m a man has died. With thunderous applause. And this is a sweet post. <laughs> and for one brief shining moment, it's like the love in those rooms brings Stan back. If only for a few seconds. He was the best person I ever met. <laughs> a fine fellow with a big heart. A deep abiding love for his wife, Joni. And the limitless imagination of a child at play. For some of his 95 years, we got to see that big kid at his most creative. I'll speed up a little bit here. And he made such an impact. They'll, be, they'll still be telling stories about his characters long after you and I are gone from this world. One of the 10 smartest things I ever did was put my hero in hashtag Mulrats because it kicked off a friendship that lasted nearly 25 years. I was blessed to have had Stan in my life, but I was lucky to have known him at all. Miss you, maestro. Hashtag Kevin Smith. Hashtag oh, Stanley. Hashtag Jason Muse. Oh. Wow. So this Isn't is not the, sweet. The, it is sweet. I, I kind of do think it's sweet. The reason I thought it was so funny was because this is the one thing that I would fight Kevin on. <laughs> As we discussed last episode, I have a burning hatred for Stanley. 
Um, well, <laughs> this is yeah, the one thing I cannot, I cannot we, condone. We can all Kevin. agree that Kevin Smith is not a smart man. Uh, so naturally, <laughs> despite being like a huge uh, comic book fan or whatever, he's the type of comic book fan who's so incurious about the craft itself that he wouldn't have taken the time to figure out how all of the artists and writers who created all these works that he loved so much were completely fucked over by Stan Lee and that that's how he made his fortune, screwing people over and taking credit for their ideas. Yeah. And the fact that he has this like just sweet, uh, you know, like uh, a bright-eyed like view of Stan Lee as this heroic uh, grandpa figure, not knowing what a piece of shit he is. It's uh, it fits very much with Kevin's character, which is why like, I just feel like you know, it, it, even though like you guys talk a lot about how he's not a bad guy, right? You know, he's <laughs> he's like a nice guy or whatever. He means well, but. He's too much of a fucking idiot to understand these things. And he's and he's helping uh, 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 launder the crimes of an actual monster like Stan Lee through his ignorance. And that is, I'm sorry, unacceptable to me. Okay. He has like a hundred or so tweets at Stanley, uh, like helping him get to like a, like a million followers oh and stuff God. like that, and wishing him happy birthday and all that. I think this is all very sweet. He's such a fucking um, rube. <laughs> I would like to. I would like to know, um, especially from Ted, because Ted seems to be the most passionate about this. Uh, what is your vendetta against at the real Stanley? Um, <laughs> Have we not explained it? So no, I don't think so. I, it, uh, there's okay. a, there's a lot of reasons to not like Stanley. The biggest one I think is that he really screwed over a lot of the comics creators, most notably Steve Ditko and Jack Kirby. Steve Ditko died very poor. Jack Kirby died not nearly as well off as he should have been, considering his contributions. And that's that's one thing that's like very objectively true. And then one thing that I believe to be true that is hard to say for sure is that I think that Stan Lee as much as he championed to be for inclusivity and stuff like that I think he actively shut down a lot of stuff and I think he actively like made a lot of comics more sexist more racist um one example is a lot of the drawings for the Fantastic Four they'd have Sue like kick a bad guy or something like do something traditionally masculine in the the sense of a superhero comic book and then stan would come in later because jack would do the stories stan would come in later and just write fill in words basically and stan would come in later and be like i'm glad that reed taught me jujitsu stuff like that to <laughs> like completely remove her agency and one that i one that i really despise is that the original black panther design uh, was called cole tiger named for a african poem and it was not a black suit and he didn't have a mask on that obscured his skin color. It was like this cool suit that was a little gaudy, but a lot of Jack Kirby's original designs are. But it like took inspiration from like African dress and stuff. And you can argue, I think, relatively convincingly that that is cultural appropriation. I think it's a much better job of inclusivity and acceptance in giving young black kids like the kid in this movie, like 
a role model in something where when Stan Lee came in, he was like, okay, no, he's got to be the Black Panther because he's a black guy and we can't show his face. Nobody can know he's a black guy. It has to be like a reveal. Um, just make the costume all black. Um, and then, so I think that like a lot of the contributions that he made, they get talked about like, oh, none of this would exist because of him. And like, yeah, maybe it would be better no, if it yeah. was a different guy. It, so. It's it's complete bullshit. Like he is generally recognized as the creator or co-creator of all these characters. I mean, the way Jack Kirby told it uh, later in his life in interviews was like, no, uh, I created the characters. I drew everything. I came up with the stories. I wrote dialogue suggestions. You know, all all, all Stan Lee. Stan Lee never fucking wrote anything. None of it was his yeah. idea. And and I believe him. Uh, I mean, like, because Tor- it's not just him saying that. It was also Steve Ditko and a bunch of other. Yeah, much I mean, it was creators. yeah, it was the whole industry saying it. Apart from people who were like loyal stooges, and also people like who are understandably worried about their jobs and stuff like that. I mean, Stan Lee throughout his career was like a corporate mercenary. He was never any kind of artist. <laughs> no, it's true. He that, that's like he was, demonstrably. It's true. true. He was brought in as the editor of Marvel as like a young guy because the original publisher was like his uncle or his cousin or something. You know, it mm-hmm. was purely nepotism. And uh, for <laughs> for for all of the years between the 40s up to 1960, before they became a popular brand, when they were just barely staying afloat, he would just take orders from whoever the current publisher was because it got. It changed hands from various gangsters over the years. Like, he didn't give a shit. And the only reason the company stayed afloat that long was because of the success of the Captain America character, which Jack Kirby created and didn't get any royalties for or anything. And and the, the reason that it became popular again is because he brought back Jack Kirby and he brought in Steve Ditko to create all these characters. And he got paid so much more than them took so much credit gained all of this celebrity and became this sort of like cultural figure uh while while completely uh uh screwing all these actual creatives over on behalf of his you know whoever his corporate master was at the time like there's no that he doesn't have a creative bone in his body he is just a was just a piece of shit and like the and Kevin Smith to bring it back to the topic of this podcast is just emblematic of the worst kind of fucking comic book fan for not for not realizing this and for just buying into the mythos of a guy who is known to be a huckster and a bullshit artist, you know, to buy into all of his bullshit and be like, wow, he's this great man who created all these characters that I love. Like it's just he's just a fucking rube. <laughs> okay. So what I'm getting from this is that Stanley is problematic. Stanley um, canceled, to say the least. <laughs> canceled. I mean, he is well, literally canceled. He was canceled from uh, life. So canceled by God. <laughs> Thanks, God. I well, I think he seems like um, a sweet old man. God damn and I like it, it when he shows when he shows up in the Spider-Man <laughs> movies and he goes like, "Look out!" Uh, th- that's always fun because then I point at the screen. Uh, like the the hog that I am, and I and I and I, and, I, and I and I oink my little snout, and I go, "That's Stanley." Well, I I did cry when he showed up in Captain Marvel, just because that we was very did. emotional for me. Because you know I'm a '90s kid, and that was the '90s. Yeah. And that that, that um, really touched uh, a nerve for me. 
I'll, I'll say th this Kevin receipts stuff, you know, um, I thought I would have so much fodder to work with, but, uh, uh, you know, I'm trying to find these embarrassing posts and, uh, there's, there's not a lot of them, you know, because Kevin, uh, <laughs> you know, he's, he's, he seems like a pretty nice guy. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't do anything too crazy out there. Uh, I don't know if he's a good guy, but, uh, you know, I still like him. Um, <laughs> I'll close. I'll close Kevin, out here if, with. Kevin, if with you're listening, she's lying. Don't believe her. Kevin, we love you. I do uh, not love him. Um, just to prove what what a nice guy he is, uh, I want to close out here with a quote. Um, after chasing Amy, you know this this wonderful uh, <laughs> gay rights film that he he made. Uh, here, here's a quote he has sticking up for women because uh, he's a male oh. feminist, which I appreciate. Uh, this is from a blog post entitled, If You Like My Stuff, Then You Like Women. Oh, my um, God. Oh, this is from 2013. Oh. I thought this is way older. <laughs> um, and it says, yeah, if you like my stuff, then you like women. And if you like women, never call them cunts. Oh. <laughs> I agree, Kevin. Very, very good. <laughs> or get vulgar with them at all. And if you like me... <laughs> this is allyship, guys. I'm Everyone, sorry. this is a I'm teaching sorry. moment. Please Learn from continue. this. Never call them cunts. Or get vulgar <laughs> with them at all. And if you like me or my stuff at all, then never express yourself to anyone, man or woman, in misogynistic terms. This is important to me. Even before I was married and had a daughter, this was important to me. King. The the J char the J character aside, <laughs> I've the J character aside. I've always tried to imbue the characters in my flicks with nothing but respect for women. Uh, I've I'll, oh no. Uh, editor's side note: I have some issue with that statement. I don't think that's totally true. Yeah, I don't think so uh, either. If, if my movies have made you feel it's okay to reduce another human being by labeling them a quote bitch or quote cunt <laughs> then I was an even worse filmmaker than I thought <laughs> so th there's a there's a powerful dumb guy thing in here um, <laughs> I think it's powerful and I want to point out that like I I'm also a dumb guy like I don't I don't hold anything <laughs> Like, Ted, I don't hold myself higher to higher standards than Kevin. Ted, you are <laughs> a better man than Kevin. Don't do this to yourself. I promise anyway. you. I promise you. You're not as dumb as Kevin Smith. I, I, there's a powerful dumb guy thing in there where, like, the really like the thing that you really can't do to women is like call them like slightly gendered slurs. Although I think I think cunt is like very gendered. I, um, I noticed a couple I of know couple of words he didn't include in there that made <laughs> prominent appearances in this film we just watched. So, like, yeah, like, I do think that that is emblematic of Kevin of like he is trying. He latches on to something, and he really yeah. wants to explore that idea. And that's a powerful dumb guy move. It's like Ben Affleck calling out Jason Lee for for dropping homophobic slurs. <laughs> it's like, hey, that's not all right. <laughs> that's the type of ally that that Kevin is. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and I think that um, yeah. you know our our male uh, our our male ally listeners can learn something from Kevin's example to uh, to not call <laughs> to not call women cunts. <laughs> <laughs> Well, as yeah. as a male ally myself, I applaud 
uh, Kevin's uh, <laughs> efforts to create a more <laughs> equitable spaces for uh, women in film. Uh, I don't know where I'm going with this. I can't. <laughs> we we stand a woke king. I stand a woke king. I, Trevor does not. Trevor doesn't stand no. him. I, I tried. I tried to say a fake positive thing about him, and I couldn't even get through it. So that's where I'm at. It's the effort that counts. We know that deep down you do appreciate Kevin and his uh, his activism. <laughs> Alright, well, this has been a very long episode. A, this is very detailed. A good one. This is a this is a dense movie uh, to explore. Like yep. truly. Yeah, we didn't even go on many tangents. It was like a, de- a, de- a dense movie by a dense man. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Oh, Kevin. oh Kevin, we love you. Oh my gosh. Kevin. <laughs> I'm out I'm outnumbered here. I've got I'm, I'm one bad cop against two good cops. It's too much. You're ganging up on me. <laughs> Okay. Uh, all right. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Thank you uh, for listening. To we need yeah. to talk about Kevin. Kevin's not canceled yet. Come back. Come back next week for uh, for Dogma. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. What's a Nubian? Shut the fuck up. Why don't you give your little forces? Come on up inside my bed. Um. They have silent. Fuck! I, I'm gonna do it again. They have Jay <laughs> say, um, "I am gonna edit that one out." We, they have. 